Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We're back with another episode of Life List, a birding podcast. I am George Armistead, and today I'm talking with Molly Brown. We're going to talk about some Columbia. Molly, how are you doing today? I am doing great today. How about you, George? I'm doing good. Doing good. Yeah. It's like, you know, working out in the yard, doing a little uplimbing on our dogwood. Got mm-hmm. uh, the Blue Jays are moving, you know? Yeah. Feels feels very, very autumn here. How about there? Yeah. Here too. Uh, this is definitely my favorite time of year. I just have so much energy. I think like for my mental health, this is the best time. It just feels so nice and crisp outside. We've been doing a lot of uh, work on our property. We spent yesterday uh, just picking seeds from different places and kind of spreading them out and seeding in different places where we wanted to move different asters and uh, some walnuts and a couple other uh, flowers around. And yeah, and I've been traveling. I've been on the road a lot. I yeah. will be talking about Columbia. I was there for a few weeks came back for a bit. I've been in Georgia the past week working on uh, some conservation program development that I just got started on this month. So that was really just interesting and a lot of information gathering and that sort of thing. Um, And was in the middle of packing when we jumped on to record, heading out tomorrow (laughs) to drive up through the Northeast for a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, we were like talking about scheduling, like when the heck are we going to record here? And then I was like looking at your schedule. I was like, man, we better get this in. Molly is on the road a ton coming up. So yeah. yeah. What's the, uh, what's going on up in the Northeast? Anything fun you want to tell folks about? Yeah. It's uh, just a road trip that we kind of put together quickly, strung a few friends together that we wanted to visit in uh, Burlington and Rochester. So piecing that together, um, but working our way up the East Coast and hitting a few birding spots, some hiking, and I haven't spent much time up that way at all. I've been to Maine uh, and done some birding up there and have driven through the Northeast, but that's about it. So uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to take our time and slowly work our way around for a week or two. Wow, that sounds awesome. And it's I think the the fall foliage, you might you're probably going to hit that peak in some places i imagine yeah i think we might be i uh when i was flying back the day before yesterday um from dc over to pittsburgh you could see through the clouds pretty much the whole way and it was looking pretty good so Mm. it'll be fun to be driving all that yeah i've been i've been looking at there's i forget which instagram that i follow that's got graphics about like it shows peaks in various different Mm -hmm. parts of the state of pennsylvania and it looks like the north central is coming into peak. So I imagine you get up north of that and it'll be real, real nice. I think so. How's it looking there? It's looking pretty gorgeous. Yeah. It's like some of these trees are turning like burnt umber and scarlet. And, you know, all the Virginia creeper and the sumac is long since gone bright red, uh, which is which is always good. It means that there's fruit and there's there's birds at the fruit. There's birds feeding on poison ivy. Actually. One of the cool things I did see was a, which I've not seen before, was a yellow-bellied sapsucker feeding on the fruits of a poison ivy vine hanging from a big pine tree. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I couldn't like tell what it was doing. I was like, I I was with the group. uh, uh, We were birding down on the the, uh, eastern shore of Virginia. Um, 
And someone was like, oh, sapsucker coming in. We actually had a nice flight of them. There's like, it's like half a dozen uh, or more sapsuckers that this one spot, some of them were just cruising by. This one pitched in and it was like messing around. And I was like, what's that thing doing? And I put my bins on it and it was actually eating fruits from uh, poison ivy. So hmm. wow. that was pretty cool. But yeah, yeah. we uh, we had a nice Hillstar group, Hillstar Nature Group, 16 folks. We birded around the eastern shore of Virginia, Cape Charles area um, place. I grew up birding, really bir- grew up birding there more so than birding around here in Philadelphia. Mm. And um, had uh, my buddy Todd Day was with me and Kristen was with me. My folks were down there. We brought the dog as well. So he got a lot of beach time in and we had some really nice weather uh, and nice, nice migration. Uh, had had a couple days where we did some, you know, some morning flight watches. And we were mm-hmm. watching stuff migrating by big numbers of excipiters, Sharpies and Coopers moving through and in big numbers. And of course, that's always a fun ID challenge. And I'm sure we got our percentage incorrect, but uh, still, still just cool to see them moving, you know? Yeah, and, definitely. Yeah. And we... Uh, I've noticed some... Uh, goshawk movement over the past few days and that's something that i have yet to intercept and have my fingers crossed that will happen on my next trip yeah it's i feel like it's it's like a little on the early side and i've been seeing that as well like reports of goshawks popping up and some of them are photographed so you can actually be like mm-hmm. oh that you know goshawk as we all have discussed before i think is a frequently misidentified bird um there are many birds that are not goshawks that are called goshawks but some of these lately have been photographed so that you can actually tell you're like wow that really is a goshawk yeah um yeah that would be awesome to run across i have to admit i've been fantasizing about that one for the yard for certain yeah that would be a good yard one yeah tell me what's your uh feeder setup like in your yard Interesting you should ask, Molly, because Mm -hmm. we we've got like a couple shepherd's crooks up just with like platform feeder that's been up since we moved in. And we've got two hummingbird feeders still going, even though we haven't seen a hummingbird Mm -hmm. here for a long time now, for probably over two weeks, I'm guessing, maybe even three weeks since we've had a hummingbird. But of course, we are keeping our fingers crossed and our eyes open that uh something might pop up here in the in the late autumn that's a little bit different so kristen's been really vigilant about uh, changing the water there and and making sure there's food available should a you know a mexican violet ear or a green-breasted mango decide to uh to grace our presence Mm -hmm. but uh we also put up our first like seed feeders uh like uh, hanging seed feeders. I don't actually know what style you'd call them, but one's like the typical kind of columnar um, seed feeder because all of a sudden the white throats have hit and the juncos are back. And uh, and so, yeah, we want to be ready for them, you know, in case, yeah. uh, in case they want to grub out in the yard here. We want to have that smorgasbord ready for them and mm-hmm. see what else pops in with them. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was wondering about that. I was just working on my feeders earlier today as well. Um, Well, as I said, we're getting ready to head out for a while. So I uh, stocked up on a few feet or a few different feeders and put a few extra out. I usually just toss peanuts out and actually stuffed them in one of these peanut wreaths that 
haven't had a ton of luck with before. The Blue Jays, like it. The Blue, Blue Jays, Jays like it. haven't gone into it. Okay, because I was gonna say I've been. I don't. Somebody in this neighborhood has got peanuts out because I keep seeing oh, Blue yeah. Jays flying, and I'm like, if they got acorns, I'm like, those are peanuts, uh-huh. like you know, full peanuts. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I've noticed that when I'm traveling a few times. I forget, maybe when I was in San Diego earlier this year, kept seeing Stellar's Jays, and then I thought, oh, they all have peanuts. And then I realized there's a little housing development on like the other side of the ridge that I was in. <laughs> but yeah, I took my hummingbird feeders down today, though. They might go back up, but yeah, they're down while we're traveling anyway. We put our suet feeders up today as well. So hopefully there's maybe something for those sapsuckers or, or other other birds, I feel like you don't really see sapsuckers at suet, but at least for the downies and red bellies and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got suet, decided not to put it out. Where we live now, I've never had issues with mice before, but there are mice all over the place. They're like, we have the live traps and they just come in daily yeah. in the house. So we've, that's we've another got, factor. We've got a few rats that uh, camp mm-hmm. out under the platform feeder where the birds spill everything. Um, mm-hmm. So far, they have remained outside, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's better. All right, the mice are, they're small. They don't bother me too much here. But it is something that even though I grew up, I don't know, in the country, you'd think I have more mice there. But no, I've never had to deal with that until now. I'm pretty you used to it now. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember a house that had a, a literally uncontrollable mouse problem where mm-hmm. like there were no, there was no amount of trapping that was going to solve the problem. It was mm-hmm. a little disturbing. I was happy to move out of that spot. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have that many, but it is fairly constant. And if you don't keep up with it, I think they they will number up. I planted a bunch of uh, oak trees, I, like bought a bunch of the little pots and got a nice soil mix the way I wanted it last year. And a mouse just went through and ate all of them. I had them sitting out here on the porch and I want to play with that again this year, but I want the right combination of getting sunlight, but also the cold temperatures and also keep mice out. And I don't really know how to do all of those things <laughs> at my current location. So we'll see. Yeah, it sounds like it could be a challenge, but uh, perhaps a fun one. Yeah, it's a fun one. It yeah. would be more fun if a few of the acorns made it, but <laughs> we'll try again. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, we are recording today in no small part because you just got back from Colombia and we are soon going to Colombia. That's right. Yes. So, yeah, first of all, let's tell folks what you just did, Molly. It looked like a heck of a trip. Yeah. So um, we've talked about fam trips a little bit on the podcast before, and this was a fam trip that I was invited to for um, a women-only trip that was all centered around conservation sites, family-owned, protected lands throughout Colombia. Um, and, and of course, with a birding perspective. But we also did a lot of different, I guess what you'd call cultural activities. Um, I heard an argument somewhere recently that cultural gives the... Uh, perception that it's like looking at everything from a historical context and not necessarily like the current present day day to day culture. So I've been thinking about a better word for that. But anyway, we did all sorts of things. We had a cooking class and went to uh, a, a lot of different just like I said, family sites 
and got to see uh, a site that does a lot of medicinal plants and different plant uses and that sort of thing too. Um, Birded every day, did the typical fam trip style where you're sort of moving around a lot, just getting a sampling of a lot of different places. Um, Started in the lowlands uh, down really close to Ecuador border. We really weren't that far from Mindo. Oh, wow. I've never been down that way. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, and not an area that's been accessible for too long in Colombia. So that's probably why. This in, uh, was this in Putumayo? Mm-hmm. This was mm-hmm. Putumayo region, mm-hmm. which was, I would say, the main focus of the uh, of the trip. But a lot of it was in Putumayo and then just sort of worked our way up the central Andes and um, ended up flying up to Minas which is where we'll be based for our, our trip coming up in February. Yeah. And had the most incredible networking event that I've ever been to. It was just two days of truly like speed dating for different Colombian nature-based organizations. <laughs> so I was extremely impressed by that as well. Nice. And that was the trip. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that the Colombians do very, very well. Alvaro has spoken before about how there's just sort of a great deal of kind of confidence that it seems like Colombians have like about. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And it, it means that, you know, kind of, it kind of manifests itself in e- an easy conversational style that a lot of them have. And it just seems like when it comes to the networking side of things, they're very good at that. And mm-hmm. um, it just makes it fun. Uh, you just mm-hmm. sort of feel like you have instant an instant network there. Um, yeah. So, Confidence yeah. is a great way to put it. I've seen yeah. that on the international scale when, you know, there've been Columbia sponsored booths at different birding festivals or events and that sort of thing. But wow, they, they put on quite an event. Yeah. It makes me excited for Columbia bird fair. Yeah. And you were at El Recinto del Pensamiento, right? Which is yep, where correct. that's right where we're going to be based. And, um, yeah. Folks can check it out. We we uh, there's there's actually a nice image of it on our Life List um, podcast uh, site. If you go to the mm-hmm. Join Us in Columbia button, you can see there's kind of this crazy wooden structure that actually can is one of the meeting spaces, outdoor meeting spaces at El Recinto, and you kind of walk by this pond and and. Uh, the grounds of El Recinto itself are quite good for birding. Um, yeah, you can see uh, a good number of birds. And one of the things I remember you wouldn't you wouldn't have seen that this time of year as much, Molly. But in winter, it's actually a really good place for like Blackburnian warblers. I remember seeing oh. a lot of Blackburnian warblers and Canada warblers and broadwing hawks wintering up in the in the hills above the um, of of the hotel there. And uh, so it's quite a good place. You know, it's kind of funny to go to this place and you, you're seeing, you know, uh, you know, toady flycatchers and, and cattle tyrants and, you know, mm-hmm. sp- you know, various hummingbirds buzzing and whizzing about uh, and uh, and and wh- whiskered wrens calling away in the in the hills, mm-hmm. which is fun. They're really, really loud. But then mixed in are these kind of friends from home. Um, and those will be, those will be really obvious when we're there in February. Um, and it's just a really nice place to base yourself that that's one of the meeting spaces. If you go to the website that you'll see, um, but the hotel itself is very, is really comfortable. It's a great base of operations for exploring the central Andes. And, 
which is part of the reason we're we're doing it there. Uh, it's yeah. a very popular place for birders, and the food is good, and there's great meeting spaces, and there's great birding right on, on the grounds, and kind of like an hour or two hours in any direction. There's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of birding sites, uh, which I, I imagine you must have hit at least a couple of those while you were there, yeah? We touched on them a little bit. We didn't get to go out from that area very much. Um, and we flew in to there uh, from from where we had done the bulk of our birding. But I got enough gotcha. to get a taste and went around. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's a big grounds. I mean, it's a whole conference center, which is Columbian owned. I met uh, some of their staff as part of the networking as well and got to see some of their other properties around Columbia. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's got several different wings of rooms and a restaurant and a cafe. It has a little spa and gym there that mm-hmm. I mentally noted for, for next time, but uh, nice. different wetland areas and, and hummingbird feeders uh, and just enough space. You can walk around and do some birding. I mean, I think I had, I think I had 50 species or so there. Well, yeah. Yeah. You also can do that. Knowing other things. So yeah, it's a great yeah. spot to be based. Yeah, and they got a little, they have a little butterfly house and an orchid garden as well. Um, mm-hmm. So there's quite a bit to do right there, but right nearby, uh, some of the spots, some of the spots we're going to hit that are well known. Probably one of the most famous birding spots in Colombia is Rio Blanco, uh, and mm-hmm. that is a that's a that's a major site. It's it's an ant it's a spot it's a spot where they have um, gotten ant pittas to uh, come in and. Uh, be fed, and so there. It's a really good place to see bicolored ant pitta, to see chestnut crowned ant pitta, occasionally other ant pittas as well. Um, there's a chance for birds like chestnut wood quail, which is easier to see and harder or easier to hear than it is to see. Uh, but it's just a great birding area in general. Um, there's all sorts of stuff uh, on in kind of the ridge top above, and then right around the station itself. You can get buff-breasted mountain tanagers and just all sorts of of birds at the feeders. Buff-tailed coronets are like in abundance. They're buzzing all around your head. And uh, the photo ops are pretty amazing right there. And the same is true at Hacienda El Bosque, which is quite close as well. Both Mm -hmm. of these places, I think, are an hour or less away from our lodge. And... uh, that is a place where gray-breasted mountain toucans just are right in your face and really dramatic. It's a place where there's a chance for a crescent-faced ant pitta, although I missed it last time. It had moved its territory, and uh, I gather it has been seen again since then. But at the time I was there in July, we dipped on it, which was rather painful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, such such is birding. Well, uh, luckily, we'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there there were birds like barred fruit eater, you know, coming to feeders and, you know, a big array of, of hummingbirds and uh, tanagers and, you know, sickle-billed guans and all sorts of stuff that it's just, it's kind of amazing and overwhelming. These, this incredible array of birds is just kind of right in your face and, uh, mm-hmm. So that'll be an awesome spot. And then one of my other favorite spots is the really high elevation uh, spot outside of town there, up in the National Park um, at uh, Paramo del Ruiz, in Termales de Ruiz, um, and uh, up in the mountains there on the volcano, 
we'll get up uh, about 13,000 feet. And up there, we are in the Paramo, which is a really special habitat mm-hmm. that not uh, is not so easily accessible in many other areas. But in Colombia, there's a couple sites, and this is a really good one. Um, and kind of one of the primary targets will be the Buffy Helmet Crest, which is only found on that mountain, which is pretty crazy. It's like literally like a teeny tiny postage stamp sized range. And man, it is a it's a stunner of a bird. It's sort of like a hummingbird with a mohawk and like mm-hmm. this, this kind of purplish beard. Um, so that'll be cool. Um, be. Is there yeah. a feeder set up for that? Uh, not for the helmet crest, but um, they come to these like uh, esplitia plants or frailejones, mm-hmm. as they call them up there, because they I guess they sort of resemble like monks praying up in the paramo. It's you know it's all open. There's no real trees, but there's these esplitias, um, and they have these little yellow blossoms, and that's what the helmet crest really likes. But there's also a couple other plants that it'll come to and and feed at. And but it's quite a weird hummingbird. They'll even like kind of perch on the, you know, like the ground a little bit. Like you'll you'll see them like every now really? and then. Yeah, you'll see them every now and then. Like kind of coming. It's sort of like tundra, like spongy stuff up there. Every now and then you'll see one actually like on the ground. Usually they're buzzing around, you know, up in kind of, you know, waist high, chest high, and uh, and there's a visitor center there where they're they're usually f- fairly regularly seen. But there is a tremendous feeding station not far from there. The helmet crests don't come there, but shining sunbeams are there. Uh, a bunch of different, uh, you know, blueing mountain tanagers and and all sorts of or, uh, lacrimose mountain tanagers and um, scarlet-bellied mountain tanagers, which they call clarineros because they say that their little toots sound sort of like a, a clarinet. Um, so, and that is a tremendous spot for for photography and for birding and it's you know you just kind of hang out these things occasionally even land like right on you uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing so looking forward to that yeah i'm looking forward to that too i mean i i'm quite excited to get into the paramo i that will be a lot of fun uh yeah. i realized on this past trip that the the setups that I enjoyed the most are where you had some feeder stations around, but you had enough of uh, habitat development, I guess, where you could also get those mixed flocks coming through. And like, if you get a combination where you can have a chance at both of those at the same time, you can spend <laughs> quite a lot of time in just one place seeing a lot of birds. Yeah. And actually, one spot I forgot to mention, that, as you say, that reminds me is uh, Tinamu. Uh, we're going to be mm, going to the Tinamu yeah. Lodge there. We'll spend uh, at least half a day there, and uh, and that is a place where you have a chance also at scaled ant pitta. But um, but yeah, it's again it's a similar setup. There's there's hummingbird feeders and fruit feeders and Andean mot- moths and steely vented hummingbirds are coming into the feeders. But then you know you go out on the trail and uh, it's possible to run into some some flocks moving through where you can really pick up a whole bunch of birds. And it's lower there; it's warmer there. The species diversity is is it actually goes up a little bit there. It's but it's a whole different array of birds than we'll see elsewhere. So that's a place that'll really pad our list a lot, actually, um, mm-hmm. while still providing really good photo ops, good views and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's 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 an example of that kind of place that you're talking about feeder setups with good you know potential for flocks moving through. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sounds like fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yep. Yep. We got a nice group coalescing in, uh, around this event um, just to give folks a little bit more feedback uh, and, and info on what we're doing. Uh, I was trying to remember some of the questions we got, Molly. Uh, but I know some folks were interested in like the airports in and out. Um, it pretty much is end to end. So if you're coming in, um, you f- you know, you can do one of two things. You can fly into Pereira, which is the biggest international airport um, near Manizales. And there are daily flights in from Miami there. Or you can fly into Bogota and then catch a short flight over to Pereira from there. And uh, and from there, we'll, we'll, we'll get you picked up and, and transported over to uh, El Recinto. Uh, and the the other side, we uh, would go out of Cali, which is a big town with international flights and a bigger airport. Pereira is actually a pretty small airport, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but Cali is a bigger airport with more international flights. It's a big city, and that's where the that's where the bird fair is, and that's going to be that's going to be a hoot as well. So basically, we got what five six five nights in uh, in Manizales there at El Recinto, and then we pick up and move to the Western Andes from the mm-hmm. central Andes over to the town of Cali, which as I say, is a big town and we'll have a couple nights there to do some birding, meet a whole bunch more Colombians and, uh, and really interface with the folks there. And I gather that Mexico is the invited country this year for the bird fair. So there will probably will be a good number of birders from Mexico as well, which should be fun. And uh, yeah, the list of speakers is is looks great and uh, includes you, Molly Brown, and me and uh, our host Chris Bell. Uh, I think we're going to do a little recording while we're there. Chris Bell from the Birding Show, and uh, yeah, I think that that bird fair is just going to be it's our Monty Salas part's going to be awesome, and and it'll be a little more cozy and just us, and we'll get to the bird fair. It'll just be a big party with a bunch of Colombian birders and. Should be a should be a great time. Yeah, it's it'll be quite a trip, and like almost two trips in one. Yeah, really say, is between yeah. the two destinations. I mean, the birds are just going to be, I mean, totally different, and yep. it's going to be quite a list between the two places. Yeah, the Western Andes. There's a whole bunch of stuff that is very very different from what we would be seeing in Manizales. Chances mm-hmm. at things like crested ant tanager and. I think there's a spot where we might have a chance at Andean Cock of the Rock. Maybe not quite uh, like the video you got, uh, Molly, but uh, <laughs> that was amazing. But and uh, multicolored tanager is, is kind of the big special bird that can be seen uh, just outside of Kali. So we'll have a chance at that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't talked to any about. So I had the uh, fam trip and have this is my first, it was my first trip to Colombia. I don't think I mentioned that first trip to, uh, South America at all. So I'd been hoping and planning on doing that and was really planning a trip in earnest right before the pandemic that hadn't panned out. So, uh, went and visited my friend Giovanni, who is, uh, one of our co-hosts for our trip as well, but he lives in Medellin and went there for the week before and did some birding in that area as well including in Hardeen, which is where I had that Cock of the Rock video. That oh, that's fun. where that was. Uh-huh. Which really isn't 
it's pretty similar to Reciento, actually. I think there's a, it's not very far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how the elevations compared, but the birds were, had, had some overlap more so than any other two destinations. But, uh, yeah, that was great. Got to see Medellin, spend a little bit of time in the city in the outskirts, and then also just uh, take off and do some birding in the mountains around there, too. So that was a lot of fun. That's excellent. Yeah. I, uh, I've i not been to Hardin, but I understand it's a pretty cute little mountain town, and uh, I'm looking forward. I think I might get there this year. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I was hearing how um, it just depends on how you lay out a trip because, well, as I said, you can drive. So it's think could be driving distance from Bogota. It's maybe six, eight hours. I think that it's not the uh, the greatest of roads and that sometimes there's construction or there's something holding the road up. So it's not always incorporated into a trip. Otherwise, you kind of circle around from Medellin and it's sort of a dead end and you go back out. It was a great town, though. I really, really liked it. Out of uh, all the little towns that I visited or locations uh, like that along the way. That's the one that I'm thinking about getting back to. Mm-hmm. Just small, um, gorgeous, lots and lots of outdoor activities. I mean, we just walked around the town the first day. I mean, Cock of the Rock, you uh, you go in and it's this sort of like quintessential uh, South American town, I would say. Just, you know big square plaza, lots of music and people and beautifully colored buildings. Every other building had either an Andean Montmot or a Cock of the Rock, either like built into their logo or just painted on the buildings or whatnot. Um, and I guess a couple of different tanagers. I mean, it was a very birdie place um, and a hub of coffee connoisseurs as well. So that was fun. But that is literally two blocks from the plaza where you just walk down to the riverside and it's a, um, maybe a, maybe a U.S. based biologist that had just bought some land. There's cock of the rock Lake and purchased the land and protected it. And you paid a few dollars and, um, that employed a, a caretaker and went in and got to see the lek. And it was so cool because there were lots of tourists from all over who were coming down to enjoy it. And you didn't need binoculars or anything. They were quite close and there were, half a dozen males just completely carrying on even in the pouring rain when I was watching them. Wow. The video you got was like pretty stirring. It's like, it was like, man, that looks amazing. Yeah. It, uh, it was really, really cool. I mean, they're, they're right in front of you. So it was just a cool town that really had a lot of nature and conservation focus throughout every little business that I went to. And like I said, everything was close by. We did it. We did a driving day and hit some different elevations, uh, went to an ant pit station and spent, I don't know, an hour feeding ant pitas. That was amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, that was incredible. Uh, but it was, a uh, just a great destination all the way around. I could spend a lot of time there. Nice. Yeah. I do think, uh, and so folks know, like we've kind of outlined, um, the main event here, which is, you know, five nights or so in Manizales and then another couple in, uh, Cali, uh, the big town of Cali. And, uh, but there are some, we do have some other trips you could do in association with this main trip, which include, um, a Santa Marta's trip up in Northern Colombia, mm-hmm. uh, a trip uh, from Pasto to Pitalito, um, and also 
a trip uh, a couple a trip to the Colombian Amazon uh, in Anirida, which is a really fun area. I absolutely love that spot. I'm dying to get back there. Hope mm-hmm. that one works out. And also to the Llanos and the Magdalena Valley. The Llanos is a pr- is pretty great for photography too. Like if you, if the Llanos is people may or may not know is, is kind of a uh, a floodplain, a seasonal floodplain. And um, in February, it's kind of towards the end of the dry season. And so, if you go then, all the pools and watering holes are starting to shrink and shrink and shrink, and it really does kind of concentrate birds around them. Um, and uh, it can make for some pretty spectacular wildlife sightings. Uh, it, I mean, there's just capybaras are everywhere, and uh, but there's other things too. There's you know you have a chance at giant anteater, you have a chance um, at uh, at jaguar. You know, it's slender but slim but possible. Uh, mm-hmm. You will certainly probably see tracks of jaguar. Um, mm-hmm. And there's anacondas there, and people see those maybe fifty percent of the time when they visit this area. Um, I saw some videos of that. So there were other fam trips. This was a this uh, ecotourism summit was uh, created by Pro Columbia. So they'd sponsored a few different fam trips to different places. So we all came together there at the end for that networking event and saw videos of people like selfies with anacondas. And wow, it was crazy. And that was from the Giannis. I mean, it looked like awesome mammal opportunities in yeah. the area. Yeah, there's yeah, there's crab eating foxes are pretty common. There's there's a whole right, bunch yeah. of stuff, and like the the front half of the field guide is really well represented in the Llanos. Hmm. It's probably the best place in the world in terms of species diversity of ibis, um, which is not something people really think about. But you, it's it's very very possible to have seven species of ibis in a day. Uh, wow. Yeah, including scarlet ibis, green ibis. But there's also bare face. Um, what is it? Yeah, bare faced ibis, and um, there's a couple others. There's sharp tailed, which is one of the special ones there. Um, so um, yeah, buff necked, not uh, mm-hmm. not bare faced. Yeah, bare faced and whispering. I get that. That was that was the the. Uh, there's black faced in the south, and there's bare faced in the north, and they're very different. But I get those names confused. Um, so yeah, there's there's a bunch of those, and there's and there's habarus, jabarus, um, right? Which yeah. can be, and there's sometimes even big groups of jabarus with wood storks. Um, <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I imagine that's uh, pretty good when the water's more condensed at that point. Too, exactly. Together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You get to these pools, and they'll you know we saw when Chris and I were there. It was early March couple of years ago and you know there's places where you see hundreds of whistling ducks and dozens of wood storks and jabarus mixed in with them so i think there were some places we saw like 60 or so jabarus which is pretty crazy and i think people don't realize how big those things are it's like twice the size of a wood stork or something they're like really enormous um, <laughs> yeah yeah it'd be interesting to see those side by side yeah um scarlet ibis was one that was not on my radar. I looked at their range map in Colombia. It's crazy. Um, and I guess just all over, they kind of, that's their, that's their inland route, right? Is coming in through Colombia. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I think everyone associates them with like Trinidad and Tobago where you get yep. like the big, big flocks and it's pretty dramatic, especially if you go there at, you know, dusk uh, when they're flying around. I've never done that, but I've seen the photos and it's pretty iconic for that spot. But yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah, the Llanos is a good, good place. Northern Colombia in general is a pretty good place for Scarlet Ibis. In some places you can see some pretty good concentrations of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of the other ones is Orinoco Goose. Yanos is a good place for that oh, in Colombia. Yeah. yeah. It's a wacky bird. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> so yeah, a whole bunch of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um and I do hope I feel like we should tell folks a little bit too about some of the people um that'll be joining us. Uh Luisa Conto is uh with Nature Columbia. She's been organizing trips like this uh to Colombia for a long time along with Giovanni Ortiz who you mentioned Molly and our good friends with uh all of us are are good friends and have spent time not only birding together but eating and drinking together as well uh which is I think a good indication that uh, they're the you know people know how to have fun together so uh, that'll be cool. And yeah, Chris Bell from The Birders Show. If you haven't checked out The Birders Show, really recommend it uh, because there are some episodes that feature the Central Andes. Um, and those really can give you a sense of kind of what birds to look for and what the experience is like. Um, so mm-hmm. definitely check out The Birders Show. They have a, a bunch of episodes, I think 20 or more episodes now. I was actually on the very first one. That was a lot of fun recording with Chris Bell and Diego Calderon. Um, that was a lot of fun. And uh, and yeah, in, in addition to those folks, we'll have Roger Rodriguez with us, who's a longtime Colombian guide. Same with Andrea Beltran, who was on one of my first trips to Colombia, works closely with Alvaro Armillo. And uh, Juan Manuel Cardona will be there as well. Uh, so those are those are kind of the main players with us at the Manizales part of the trip. Once we get to Cali, uh, we'll even have a bunch of other friends with us as well at the bird fair. That's right. Yeah. I was with uh, Luisa and Roger on this past trip. And Luisa I'd met before. Uh, Roger I had not. But it was a lot of fun for our whole group, um, a bunch of women and Roger, <laughs> um, which I think he's helped with other women's groups. Uh, yeah, he's done a couple of those. Well. I know. So, yeah. yeah, he's uh, he's covered Colombia pretty extensively on his tours. So yeah, it's pretty cool to be with someone who knows, you know, ha- how those things compare too, and has a very good eye for depending on, I don't know what other birds you've seen or what locations you've come from, just putting together that part of the trip because, I mean, it's just a, a lot of birds and you spend one morning in a place and it takes a lot of strategy to to maximize your uh, your birding and what you're seeing and make sure you're spending the time on the species. It'll be, uh, I guess, the most bang for your buck in that way. Yeah. And I do think because like people hear that Colombia has got 2000 species of birds and it. Sometimes I think that sounds overwhelming. It's like, my God, we're going to be seeing 2000 species a day. How are we going to, you know, mm-hmm. how are you going to remember anything? But the truth is that most days it's kind of, it's, you know, you're probably dealing with a similar number of species as you would on a really good day in the U S like, you mm-hmm. know, you might have a hundred species in a day, um, at some spots, but like up at Termales de Ruiz or in, in, uh, Nevados de Ruiz in the national park, their way up, 
you know, it might be just 30, 40 species, uh, which is, yeah. you know, not so different from a little outing in your, you know, in your patch near your home. Uh, it's just different species than you're used to from home, but um, it's not as overwhelming as it might seem. Uh, the travel is pretty easy and the birding is 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 quite manageable. It's just a whole, you know, just everything's different. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yep. shouldn't, folks I shouldn't think- feel intimidated about the species count. Mm-hmm. And honestly, a lot of the identifications, if you see the birds well, I mean, they're very obvious colors and shapes and uh, they're they're not too hard to identify uh, compared to some of the groups that uh, that you have here on the regular in the U.S. And I mean, there's a lot to remember, but they're pretty, pretty spectacular birds all the way around. Yeah, I think the biggest single checklist that I had on my trip was about 80 species. Um, which is a place I should mention too. It's on the Pasto de Pitalito route. That's pretty similar to what I just did on my trip. Um, but it was at El Encanto Lodge, which I truly think might have been my favorite lodge I've ever stayed at anywhere. Wow. It was incredible. I absolutely loved it. I am dying to get back. Um, but that was it. Well, let me let me talk through their setup. So mm-hmm. um, this is Central Andes and... Um, they have a family-owned lodge that they started that's on about six hectares. So what is that? Two and a half acres to a hectare or so? Something like um, that, yeah. That they've been working on conserving for a few decades. And they've been chipping away at buying land that's a little bit higher elevation and have, I, we just called it going up the mountain. It was just uh, like a 40-minute drive and uh, in four-wheel drive vehicles. And we went up. They had an incredible feeder set up. They had ant pittas and wood quail and um, I, 25 species of hummingbirds. Uh, and they were all just really close together. And we were kind of just bouncing back and forth between these three different feeder stations and walking the trails and catching these mixed flocks coming through all day. We took coffee up and, uh, and some snacks and just hung out until... Um, at mid-afternoon, so that was maybe a six-hour checklist or so. But, oh, that place was incredible. That's where we had the cooking class, too. It was actually there. The daughter of the family is a professional chef and cooked incredible meals, uh, just really good stuff. And then we actually took produce that they grow there. They make coffee there. Um, that's, of course, all shade-grown. And um, they, they really just do these small batches that take on unique flavors based on whatever other plant life is around the the coffee and those types of things. So yeah, I couldn't say enough good things about that incredible little lodge. And uh, that'll be a really fun trip to to do. I think it's a pre-trip, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering correctly. Okay, yeah. So to do leading up to uh, to our main trip in February. Nice. Yeah, we have some that are pre and some that are post the main event. So, depending on uh, when you when you want to go, you can go. You know, depend or depending on what your dates are available, uh, that'd be something to think about. But yep. uh, yeah, yeah. You know. And I was wrong. That's a post trip. So okay, we'll be doing that after. <laughs> gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Oh, one other thing to note. Correct me if I'm wrong. One of these pre trips is the. Um, 
Magdalena Valley. So if you want to make your flights less complicated, you, this one doesn't require an internal flight to get to our main trip. You actually start in Bogota and you're basically just taking a bus and over five days working your way to Manizales. And I mean, the airports are, are quite easy. I hit up several of them while I was in Colombia. You know, it's one of those places where internal air or internal flights are uh, pretty common and easy to navigate. But uh, I think that would be a really cool sort of intro to Colombia. Just start in Bogota, take your time working your way over. And that would be, uh, I think if, if it were my first trip in Colombia, knowing what I know now, that's probably how, what I would have chosen as my, my start to the trip. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember. I've just bought a book that I have not read yet. Here it is. Yeah. Magdalena River of Dreams. There's, as, as folks may or may not know, there are two kind of main uh, river valleys, and the Magdalena is the bigger of the two. And there's this book called Magdalena River of Dreams, A Story of Columbia by Wade Davis. It's uh, This book comes highly recommended, so I'm looking forward to reading about it. It's, I think it's a great story, but also kind of uh, it's just revealing about Columbia in general. Um, so I'm looking forward to digging into that. The ma- the mouth of the river is uh, opens out uh, on the Caribbean. Uh, so on the Santa Marta's trip, often depending on where you fly in uh, or fly out, you'll probably cross the mighty Magdalena. Uh, and uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool. The other one is the Calca Valley, and that's just uh, Kali's just uh, near near the edge of that. So you can you can kind of bird some of the Calca Valley a bit. Uh, at the at the uh, bird fair very very likely so um yeah there's chance on on this trip to actually hit both of the main valleys if you uh so choose that's so. true yeah you could uh just kind of pick a a species list number that you want to hit and <laughs> choose yeah. your trip accordingly but yeah uh there's there's a lot of corners to explore in Colombia. It's certainly not a place to just take one trip to, yeah. unless you take a very long trip. <laughs> yeah, and that's part of the reason we were doing this is we thought that this would be a good toehold for folks. Um, the Central Andes, where we're kind of based in Manizales, there, it's a great place to begin. Uh, and if you want to add a little bit more, uh, these extensions allow for that. So, mm-hmm. one more thing that. Uh, may or may not be on our site right now is the weather there and how it's very comfortable and cool. I uh, I wish that I would have brought one more warm layer last trip actually, but um, it, as you're picking these different trips as well and looking at the elevations, your weather that you're in might change pretty drastically. And a lot of where, let's see, all of where we're based for the main part of the trip is uh. I don't know exactly what our full elevation range is, but I think it's going to be days that are 60s, 70s, um, 50s in the morning. You'll you'll be very cool and comfortable the whole time. That's yeah. that's weather I enjoy. So I'm saying this yeah, is too. a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, I like it brisk, and uh, mm-hmm. it actually. I I I think it's a good point. Very often, people they're heading to you know pretty close to the equator here people assume that it's going to be warm uh and up in the andes it can be pretty chilly uh and mm-hmm. especially up at term up in uh, nevados de ruiz up in the in the paramo area it can be like in the 30s or low 40s uh so up there you definitely want to have like a fleece with you uh 
Uh, I mean, generally speaking, like comfortable hiking shoes, walking shoes will serve you pretty much everywhere we're going. But you do want to have another layer or two uh, because it can get chilly. Even even like some gloves and a hat are not a terrible idea for some of the high elevation areas. And that's even true at Hacienda del Bosque. It feels like you're lower, but you're still like close to 10,000 feet, I think. Um, So uh, it can be chilly. But then down to like El Tinamu. You're at like, you know, I think 4,000 feet or so. So uh, so it is a pretty big range. Um, Manisalas itself is quite comfortable, as you say. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a pretty comfortable kind of cloud forest, um, you know, uh, zone. And it's, it's, it's usually pretty pleasant. It can be a little wet, but uh, usually that comes and goes pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, so we did want to just give folks a little rundown on that. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to this event. we got a great team of folks. And, yeah, if you have any questions, let us know. Um, I think there are still some details we need to add to the site. We've been, we've been working on other stuff as well, but uh, we've got, uh, we have all the information. So if you have any questions, let us know. We're happy to answer any questions. Uh, we're talking about even like a Zoom chat uh, potentially a little later on with folks. If you're interested in that, let us know um, so we can talk live and and talk about any questions. But yeah, this is going to be a fun one. So um, yeah, it's uh, the the Colombians are excited about it too. This is part of the reason we're doing this is uh, working with the Colombian government and uh, the folks throwing the Columbia Bird Fair. To try to put something together that's a little bit different and try to get folks, uh, you know, there and, and enjoying birding uh, in in the birdiest country in the world. So should be a good time. Definitely. Cool. Well, we should sign off here, Molly. Anything else um, you think we should tell the good people before we go? Um, you might want to check out the Columbia Bird Fair website, too, just to see some of the speakers and line up and... Uh, get some ideas of what you would like to attend for that if this is something that you're looking at. Um, Jennifer Ackerman's one of the speakers and one I really want to make sure that I catch. Didn't think yes. that I would be going to Columbia to hear her speak, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I'll take it. No, so, she's, yeah. It'll be fascinating to hear her. Uh, it'll be really great. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, super. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Molly, always great talking to you. Looking forward to talking to you in Columbia and before. Uh, have a great day. Bye, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.